0: All right, Psalm 31, we're just going to dive right in. The word of the Lord. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a spacious place. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration, my whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am dreaded by my acquaintances." Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory, like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many, terrors on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet and chill. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous and proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you and accomplished in the sight of everyone for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son. We are so grateful that you are our father. Thank you for the church, the people of God, the fellowship that we have with one another. Thank you for the opportunity that we have in this country to unimpeded just gather together at will so praise your holy name lord that this day has been set apart for your people to rest to receive grace and by resting and by receiving grace lord we give you glory we come to you as needy people and in doing so lord you get all the glory and so i pray today that we would rest that we would be assured of salvation that we'd be assured of your love and your grace and your mercy and your kindness and compassion towards us. We pray that we would be convicted and rebuked in those areas, Lord, where we need to repent. Pray that we would see that repentance is a gift of grace for us, Lord. Lord, we do want to grow, but Lord, we want to worship you primarily, Lord. We want to come to you and say you are our God, you are a great God, and, and gratitude, worship, and obey you, Lord. Help us today to be sanctified by your word, through your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, quick outline. David's God, the first section, 1 through 8. David's trouble, 9 through 13. David's exhortation or David's trust would be then uh, 14 through 24. And then, of course, the last couple verses is David's exhortation to God's people to trust God. And I'm going to repeat myself. It's so cool every week in these Psalms to see David go through whatever he's going through when he's especially highlighting the doctrine of God, the character of God, the works of God, um, and, and then his trouble. It's so great to see when he comes out the other end, he just isn't like, "Shoo, that's over. No, he always turns to the people of God. Never loses sight of God, never loses sight of the people of God when he is going through his life um, and learning how, uh, learning more about who God is and what God does, learning more how to respond um, to life circumstances appropriately in light of who God is and what God has done and what God is doing and what God is going to do. And today we have this psalm before us that is kind of like I believe. I don't think it's anything in particular um, that David is highlighting, like as a moment in time. I think it's like a big picture look at life, um, and all of its problems and then, and how he deals with it. And then how we get to then just kind of put ourselves in David's, uh, shoes and, or his Crocs. Yeah, boy, we got our Crocs on today. All right. Croc life. And we, I'm going to be preaching. I know they're at Asbury, which is awesome. And they've been singing for a week, but with these Crocs on folks, I'm preaching for a week. It's like clouds up here. Hey, by the way, hey, real quick. This is a total aside. The whole Asbury thing, man. Let us let us be cautious, but let us not be cynical. And in our caution, if you want to know how to how to balance those two, pray. Pray that what that is going on there is legit and it's real. Pray that these people find assurance, find forgiveness. Pray that these people find a local church that highlights the ordinary means of grace and actually the quiet life and, and, and the not revival um, that doesn't highlight, the, the, doesn't make the exceptions to the rule, the rule. This is the rule right here. Small churches for 2,000 years gathering, sitting under the ordinary means of grace. But God does what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. We know 3,000 were saved at the initial explosion of the church. We know there's been revivals throughout church history. Most of them have not actually been good, but that doesn't mean they're all bad. Um, but let's just pray for, for, for all these, especially their, their, their young adults. Let's pray for them. Let's not be grumpy old men saying, get off my lawn. That's a prayer for me because that's kind of who I am. Um, let's just pray for them. And pray that it is a real movement of the Spirit and that it just doesn't stay there. We don't have to run to Asbury. People are driving from all over the country. Just go to church and you will experience the presence of the Lord. And let's pray that that, that is what initially comes, is people just start locking in to their little local churches and that they would give their lives to these local churches that are preaching the Bible, preaching the Word, And are, are having a gospel culture um, as well. So Psalm thirty one, where I was. So starting, you know, basically. Um, yeah, Croc life. Yeah, he. You. Uh, he. He never. I love it. He never. We. Yes, this is the. Bad, it, it, it really is. But the Word of God, people of God. We're trying through this whole series of the song study that right? the Word of God is for the people of God. And so, yes, locate David here, and we can think, we can even go back in the Old Testament and be like, ah, oh, maybe it's this thing. Maybe that's what he's dealing with, because we have this historicity of the life of David. And all these things are important, and that's certainly where we start. But again, the Word of God is actually about God. It's about Christ, right, and his redemption for his people. And therefore, it is, it's about us too. We find our life in here. We find our story. And so although we see David's God, and we see David's trouble, and we see David's trust, we, we as the people of God effortlessly, it's our default position, we get to see our God. David's God isn't just David's God. David's God is our God. Praise the Lord. We don't just see David's trouble and be like, yeah, it sucks to be David. No, it's, it's, our lives are hard. A lot of the time it sucks to be us again. And I don't want to be this church. that's just like, ah, oh, everything's, every. we want to be like, everything sucks. And at the same time, everything is awesome. We kind of want to balance those things, right? <laughs> uh, full of joy, yet suffering, yet always rejoicing. And we're like, how, is that even real? Is Paul, what, what's Paul doing there? No, it is real we do suffer grief, but we don't suffer grief without hope, right? And so we are, I mean, the normal, like, man, when you get saved, you're actually learning how to be a human, like truly be human. And an aspect of being a pilgrim in this pilgrimage, one aspect of learning how to be human is you don't have to be everything is awesome all the time when your world's falling apart. You also don't have to be one of those grumpy people, sad people, always just worst outlook no, no optimism whatsoever you don't you don't have to as you get your eyes focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and then you just realize reality which we're going to talk about today like David's trouble is our trouble we have troubles all right there's going to be suffering in our own lives but we also know that this isn't the, the, the our li- the life here doesn't get the last laugh right it doesn't get the last say. And so we do have this this thread of hope and this thread of joy. Peter calls it this living hope, running through our lives. And as sad and difficult and hard as our lives can be and are, I don't even know if they ever aren't. There's always something going on. But man, we have this future hope. We have this living hope. And we get to just take from that. Whenever it's like getting overwhelmed, we're getting overwhelmed. And we actually get to be these, these people that aren't carried away, by delusion, like, just like, everything is awesome and your marriage is falling apart, you know? And we also don't have to be these people that are delusional on the other end of the spectrum, which is there's no good thing. There's nothing to rejoice about. And David actually gets to, he shows us that. We we learn that David's God is our God. We learn that David's trouble is our trouble. To a T? No. But in general words that are used? Absolutely. And then we get to see David as an example, and not just David. I'm going to show you here soon Christ. All you have to do is look at verse 5, and you're like, ding, 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 ding." there's Christ in Psalm 31. Um, But we get to learn from David. We get to learn from Christ to put our trust in God. God is this, and it's magnificent. Life is like, ugh, but then it's like God is bigger as Elijah and the song we sung, the theme of this whole service, it seems. Praise the Lord for that. Is that that God is bigger than that? God knows it knows it all, and so, so God is is, but God. We don't come at thought our focus like God is so big. Life is hard. 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 No, God is big. God is good. That that's where we want to put our feet. All right, and so. David's God is our God, and this first section, although there is some prayers here, I'm not going to focus on that. I want you to see just how confident he is in who God is, not who he is in himself, not in his own strength, but how this section is just look at God and and the strength of God for for David, and then we we just get to take it. It's ours. Look at God for our own lives, and so as we do, like Like, be aware of your life here today. Be aware of it. There is no, you don't have to put a smile or a painted smile or a painted face or know all the Christianese. You didn't have to wear Crocs. I mean, you're a little less spiritual than those that did wear Crocs today, but you didn't have, you don't have to fit in where you, no, no, no. Be aware of your life as we go through this Psalm. all right? Lord, I seek refuge in you. Look at our God. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Already, it's all off of David. He's just putting it on the Lord, the Lord's strength, the refuge, the Lord's righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Here we go. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. You lead me and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. Oh, the confidence in the Lord, the strength of the Lord. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord God of truth. And then he's going to agree with God about those that are not righteous, those that are not holy, those that are not redeemed, the evildoers. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy. You have set my feet in a spacious place. you That could be the psalm, and we're locked and loaded. That right self there is enough to just take a long walk on. That—that That is enough to just chew and chew and chew on. the the You already see the, the prayer. I mean, Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. It's all over even this section. But, but the highlight is the confidence in the Lord and the refuge and the rock and the strength and the grace of God and, and trusting himself and trusting himself and rejoicing and being glad and, and not his faithful devotion, but in God's faithful love and God's faithful devotion. So that's... That's primarily a picture of God. It's David's God, but it's our God. It's one that we can just totally just throw our lives on. It's it's one that when we think about strength and rock and fortress and deliverance and and grace and refuge and trust and affliction and, and troubles and enemies, we can think of God already. God is way bigger than that because that's actually not David's focus. David's focus is not primarily in this section about his needs. It's about how big his God is and how strong his God is. And you would just think almost like the psalm went in there. It's almost schizophrenic. And that's why I love the psalms. They bipolar, schizophrenic, whatever. I, I love them because you're like, wow, that's. Like, wait, what's, that? what's this?" His trust in the Lord already highlighted how big God is and how strong God is and in light of his needs. And, and then all of a sudden, he just, he just does this thing, and, and we see David's trouble. But when we see David's trouble, we see these two realities. We see our own trouble. And look, here we go. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration. My whole being as well. Indeed, my life. See, not, it's not just a situation. It's a life. My life is consumed with grief. And I mean, th- this is fascinating because he just said, what did he say? He said, I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love. And then a few verses later, my life is consumed with grief. Which one is it? Both. It's not either or. This is a picture of life. It's both and. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief. And my years with growing groaning, my strength has failed. Oh, this is... Incredible. Before he goes into thinking about circumstances and people, which he will, and it's filled with grief because of those people. <laughs> it's filled with grief because of this person. It's filled with grief because of my own iniquity, his own sin. He's not blaming, he's not going around blaming anybody. And my bones waste away. This is a child of God talking about his own sin, wearing him down. Because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. And then now he goes to other people. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries. And man, it's just, this is hard to read. And even my neighbors. So it's one thing to actually have enemies, right? The world. And have the scorn of the world. Those that don't get you. Those that, you know, the natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit. Those who not, not have been born again. Their eyes aren't open, their ears aren't open. It's, it's one thing to have enemies that are out to get the people of God, and those people have always existed, right? And that's enough to deal with, to think about the culture and the world and the, the mayhem and the craziness and what they think about us. And, and, and that's one thing. That's difficult enough. But he's not just ridiculed by, by enemies like, that are just out there. No, even his neighbors, those closest to him. I am dreaded by my acquaintances. So his own friends and his own neighbors and perhaps his own family and perhaps other other members of the people of God, of the body of Christ, have turned against him. Those who see me in the street run from me. You have this isolation. So you have this picture of just the toll on his own body and his own mind and his own heart. And then you have this picture of isolation. I am forgotten, gone from memory, like a dead person like broken pottery, just throw it away. I have heard the gossip of many, terrors on every side. When they conspire against me, they plotted to take my life. I mean, that is, this guy's got some serious problems. And yet when we look at this, we, we think about our own lives. We all have our, we all have our afflictions, we all have these moments and these times, and I don't even know if they're moments or times. I mean, I guess sometimes you just think about it. Think about the sin in your life. Think about the fact that you still aren't just tempted to sin, but that you do sin. I mean, Jesus even said, blessed those that are mourned, for they will be comforted. Jesus knows. And David is just, I mean, the the vulnerability and the transparency of David here is just absolutely incredible. His life Although he rejoices in the Lord, his also his life is just, it's just, oh, it's just heavy. It's heavy of his own iniquity and his own sin. It's in his own heart, and it's heavy because he's got enemies out there that are out to take his life, and it's heavy because he's, like, all alone because he doesn't even have any friends or family or other people of the Lord to turn to, seemingly. It's, it's, and, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, I I'm there all the time. Maybe it's because I'm a preacher, but and 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 but I've been here for like 10 years of just this heaviness of of at times not thinking even and not even thinking but even having these relationships in the church that are just it's just heavy. It's just heavy. It's not just out there. It's and it's not just in here but it's also in my own, my own life, my own stinking thinking, my own sin, my own iniquity, my own quickness to jump to conclusions. We don't have to pick one of those things. If we're being honest with one another, all of us have our own stuff that we bring to the table. We have our own sin. And, we, and, and all of us, if we're being honest with, with one another, and this is where we got to be really careful, and I think David is, is there are people that, that are out to get us. Generally speaking, and maybe specifically speaking, and if we're being honest with one another, if you've been in the local church for any amount of years, you've had relationship difficulties, major ones, where you feel like you're just all alone, no, no one sees you, and this is where David is at. David's trouble is our trouble. David's life is our life, and I'm not saying it's identical, but we we get to relate to David because we're human beings, not because of our iniquity, our sin, and because of the scorn of the world, and because of broken relationships with loved ones, life is hard, and it's always going to be hard because of those things. Your sin, enemies, and broken and struggling relationships with people that you dearly, dearly love life is always going to be hard and i would say that is makes life they they all three just make life hard right now, we will suffer much in this life this isn't just david you're going to suffer because you're the king and the messiah is going to come through your line and and so and you're going to be you're just going to david this is going to be like is like job you know job you're just going to be an example to people sorry no job's life is our life it's not the same but we think job's life is like the exception to the rule it's not it's, we're so divorced, all right, with modern-day technology from just what was going on in most people's lives 100 years ago. John Owen, who was some consider the greatest theologian to ever walk the planet, and if you read him and actually can understand him, which that's hard, but when you get what he's talking about and the glorious riches of God and Christ that he always talks about, had 11 kids, and they all died before they were like 19. <clears throat> and that was in the 18th century. I mean, Job's lot is our lot. David's lot is our lot. I mean, we know the Bible tells us we are going to suffer. And I could go, this could turn out to be the whole sermon. Not going to, but I'll just give you one. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Fiery ordeal. Listen, this is going, this is dawn to me. This is going to help us to do what David does in these Psalms. To also, not just think about God and yourself, not just your trouble, but to then think about other people being in trouble, and then as your heart is encouraged by the gospel and the preaching and the reading and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're going to go encourage other people, because it's not, there's nothing abnormal about your life except for maybe the specifics, Right? You're not the only one that has a hard life. There's not something unusual happening to you. Now, your suffering is certainly probably going to be different than mine, but even in that, there is so much overlap. So much in in, in what God's trying to do, and and so much overlap in what the suffering is actually trying to do. Like, what it causes in us. The panic, the anxiety, the depression, the second-guessing the paranoia, the physical pain, the financial pain, all all that stuff, all that that's what the suffering is trying to get our eyes focused on, no matter what shape it takes. And then meanwhile, the Lord is sanctifying his people through it. And it is so good to know that although you are unique and that you are special and that you've been created in the image of God and that you are beloved child of God, you are not unique in your life's experiences. And we can almost be like, well, I want to be. No, you do not. You don't want to, you want to be on memory. You want to be like a dead person? Look at this imagery, like broken pottery. That's You don't want that. You don't want that. How comforting it is to know that it's not unique to you and that, if God be gracious, and I pray that he would, that he would plant you in a local church and that you would drive two, mile, two hours or just move to plug into a local church that'll come alongside you and love and suffer with you and pray with you and love on you and be there for you and encourage you and rebuke you and correct you. I honestly think the most important thing a Christian does is they find a, they find a local church and they give their life to it. They, they even pick up and they move to go there, if that's what it takes. Or they drive an hour or two or whatever. It's this whole theology, right, of the cross versus a theology of glory is what I want to get into for a sec. So a theology of glory is good as long as you know when the, the glory is going to take place. All right? We will have wins. We are being sanctified. But the glory is for when? This life? First suffering, then glory. Our lives take on the same pattern of, our, of David. They take on the same pattern of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. First suffering, he was a man of sorrows. We are men and women of sorrows. And so this whole theology of glory, and also I, you could throw in there, it could be a theology of triumphalism, a theology of transformation, transformationalism, a theology of revivalism. That's where everybody's eyes are on. And it makes sense because we long for that. We long for the glory. We long for the ultimate experience of never sinning again. We, we want it for a week. We long for it. And, and, and people with good intentions, they long for it. They know you long for it. And so they write books and preach sermons your whole life about it. And then what happens is, They actually think that they got the theology, they got the glory. They don't have the glory. They're delusional. We're we're pilgrims just passing through. And Luther called it the theology of glory versus the theology of the cross. But it's biblical. The theology of the cross is pick up your cross and follow me. You want to live a godly life? You're going to be persecuted, you're going to suffer in this life. It's suffering first, then the cross. And so what spills out of the theology of glory is triumphalism. The transformation. Christian life is to triumph here in this life. It's the whole point of your Christian life is transformation. It's, it's not. These things are good, and we want that. But the whole point of your Christian life is to suffer and learn how to suffer well with the people of God and to worship God throughout the whole thing and to trust the Lord. It's a life of suffering triumphalism looks like this i'm in sin well don't you know that you're dead to sin the old man's dead and these are true and right things but it's all you're ever told and then you're just you feel like something's wrong with you the transformationalism is sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon of, of telling you that there, here's three things you can do and if you do them, you will be a completely different person next week and you show up to church and you're like everybody is acting like they're different i still feel like a loser you're the same one in that, that scenario. But it's this big elephant that gets drawn, put in the room, and no one wants to shoot the elephant. But with the Psalms, we grab bazookas and we launch missiles at the elephant. We kill the elephant. We say, No. Yes, I want to grow. And yes, I do believe that I'm being sanctified. Why? Because the Bible says I'm being sanctified. <laughs> he will do it. Jesus prays that we will be sanctified but we're looking for all this massive transformation. I was a quiet person before I came to Christ. I know Jesus now wants me to be a loud person. That's delusional. I talk a lot. Now I come to Christ. I think I'm just supposed to shut up and never talk. He's making me somebody different. It's like, no, there's not going to be much change in your life. Sorry about it. And it's actually that's actually good news because it actually then frees you up to then just let God change you in his own time. You are who you are. He wants to sanctify you and glorify himself with you and who you are and your personality and all your quirks. And yes, he's going to point out sin, and yes, you're going to repent of that sin. Are you going to be delivered from that sin in this life? Well, you're not going to be delivered from sin in this life. You, it may be the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we even and even then, we're we got wrong teaching about that. It's like, well, he committed the sin, and then he repented. Then he committed the sin again. He must have not really repented. And then it's like, Jesus tells Peter, hey, forgiveness, 70 times 7, all right? And we're actually thinking that God is going to forgive us less than what he asks us to forgive other people for. <laughs> like, I can, out, I, I can out-sin you, and I can out God. No, God's mercy is so much greater than our sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And we're nervous to talk about this stuff because we think, we treat Christians like like pagans. We think Christians are gonna hear that and they're gonna run out and go, sin! Let's go sin because where sin abounds, grace abounds. No, the people that does that, guess what? Needs to be born again. We don't have to be reluctant in our extension of grace to the people of God. And so you're addicted to... Right bounds, because that's where that's where the power is found. The power is found in the gospel, and so we get all these quick fixes, and it's this it's this theology of glory and triumphalism and transformationalism, and there can be nuggets of truth in that, but our life is boom snapshot right here, Psalm thirty one. It's hard, it's difficult. We, we even when we grow, it's like we grow a little bit, we think we got the win, and then we wake up two weeks later and we're back. <laughs> and it's like, and I think freedom is unique to all of us. And actually, there can be power and freedom and real healthy growth, real healthy revival, real healthy transformation in your life when you know that that's not the point. That is all going to happen. But in this life, it's this plotting. It's this struggle. It's this suffering. It's the repenting. It's the mourning over sin. But that's not all, because we've already talked about the rejoicing in the Lord. And so David's trust in light, David's God is big. Our God is David's God. He's so big. David's life is so Hard, big hard. So is ours. Ours is big. Man, it's, it's life is full of just so much difficulty. But because of who our God is, we see then that that's, we don't, we don't get our truth. We don't get our facts about who God is and about the ultimate point of life. And, and then the next life, we don't get it ultimately from our circumstances and our difficulties. We don't trust in what that's trying to tell us. We trust and we double back. We put our faith in what we've already declared who God is and what God does. We trust in the Lord. In the midst of the trials and the tribulations, David falls back on faith in God. He doesn't lose sight of who God is and what God does in light of who God is. And that's the next section. All right. God is huge. My life is hard, but I'm going to trust in the Lord. I say, you are my God. That's incredible. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. I'm not, I don't have time to read all this. So here we go. Okay. David makes these trust claims. All right. Notice David's trust. First off is Christ's trust. Verse five "'Into your hands I entrust my spirit.'" And Jesus says on the cross, "'Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit.'" Peter says of Christ, "'For you were called to this,' to us, suffering, "'were called to this suffering.'" Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. David trusts the Lord. Christ trusts the Lord. Peter calls us to trust the Lord. He goes on in 1 Peter chapter 4. For you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice. <sighs> rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will Entrust themselves, just like he said Jesus did, entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. And so, David, I into your hand I entrust my spirit. David says, I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in you, Lord. Verse six. David says in verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, You are my God, the course of my life is in your power. Verse 19, how great is your goodness. Again, a picture of trust. You have stored up for those who feared you and have accomplished in the sight of everyone for those who take refuge in you. It's like God has all this goodness that we don't even know about. And the only way to really experience it is to go through suffering. David says in verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me. Trust, 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 trust. And then he turns to the people of God. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all of you who put your hope in the Lord. Trust, trust. God is big, God is good, God is faithful, God is our rock, God is our refuge, God is our deliverer, God is our strength. Yes, life is so hard, so difficult. Yes, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Not that, the Lord. Trust the Lord. I mean, that's the whole psalm summed up. God, you are my strength. Man, life is hard. Regardless, I will trust you. It's like at the end of Matthew 6 when uh, that all the hard teachings and a lot of the disciples left Jesus. You remember that? And Jesus says, you guys are going to leave too? And Peter's like, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so when we look at our lives, what, what are we going to do? Really? let's just trust the Lord. The Lord has the words of eternal life. The, the Lord, I have no strength. And, and my circumstances, the way I usually interpret my circumstances is just full of just lies. I, I hardly ever see them the way I'm actually supposed to see them, the way God wants me to see them. I just see it with fear and anxiety and depression and anger and ho- no hope. But but when I decide that I'm just going to trust the Lord, then like all those although all good start again there's no explosion of glory but you just start you just start growing a little bit you, you, 20 years later you're still the same dude or the same gal but you've just learned to trust the Lord in the middle of in, in the middle of life in the middle of life's difficulties better and David's trust is Christ's trust Christ's trust is our trust and he gives us that trust. The application, then if that's that, we're just kind of looking a lot at just life, right? But if you just zoom out from the temporal, we just spent 34 minutes just kind of looking at God and looking at our life and, and looking at like this call and this example and the beauty of trusting the Lord. But if we pull out for a second, all right, if we zoom out from the temporal and think about eternal matters, if we get the big picture stuff going on, That our trust is ultimately defined and must be grounded upon the gospel of God, not our earthly circumstances. We're not going to trust the Lord well if we're not constantly thinking about who God is and what God has done. Because although in this life our trouble, so we're going to do it a different way, we're going to look at our trouble first, is of course our iniquity, we still sin, and our enemies, and we have enemies, all right, even if we don't have any, if you can't think of anybody, we, the world hates us, okay? If we zoom out though and just think about our ultimate, ultimate, ultimate trouble, it is sin and the wages of sin. And when we think about our enemies and our adversaries, ultimate, ultimate, eternal stuff, it is sin, Satan, death, and the world. That's our trouble, okay? I know we all have particular troubles, but guys, that was the trouble we found ourselves in right there. That's the big trouble. But, but then we look at God. It's the same thing. We look at God and we see that God in Christ, now I'm just going to run through the psalm. I'm just going to pick, all right? I'm showing you how to read the Bible Christianly, okay? God in Christ has saved us by his righteousness. Save me by your righteousness, man. And that's exactly what God in Christ does. Saves us by his righteousness. He lived for us. He lived a perfect life, and then he gave us that perfect life. He imputed his righteousness to us. God in Christ has saved us by his faithful love. He loved us while we were enemies. He laid his life down for us while we were sinners. God in Christ has rescued us from the power of our enemies. God in Christ has freed us from the net, the trap that was set for us, eternal damnation, condemnation. God in Christ has redeemed us. God in Christ has seen our affliction and the troubles of our soul and has not. Christ has set our feet in a spacious place. Where has He set our feet? In Christ. God in Christ has been so gracious to us. I know sometimes we don't see it in this life, but we just, we're just taking it out. We're, just, we're putting our eyes on eternal things. Oh, how gracious he's been to us, his son, to live for us and to die for us and to save us. He's coming back for us. God in Christ has wondrously shown his faithful love to us. Now, that's just me going through the psalm. God in Christ has made his face shine on us. Oh, Lord, Shine your face on me, David says. And God does just that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God, that the has revealed chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. David says, Show, shine your face, shine your light upon my face, and God in Christ does it for David and does it for us. And so we want to trust the Lord for this life, but we don't start there and then build up. We remember our big trouble. And we remember our big God and his love and compassion and grace in Christ for us. And then we remember that ultimately what I need to trust the Lord for is that he saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us, regardless of what circumstances in life are telling us. We need to remember, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Those are the things we need to remember. Then let all this stuff, the life stuff, trickle down from that, right? That's big God, big picture, meta-narrative, God's plan of redemption, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remembering his goodness and his graciousness and his, his redeeming us and his love and his care and his saving us in the big stuff helps us to have a healthy look at then they're not little things, but just our life here as pilgrims passing through. And so we learn to trust the Lord by primarily trusting him for salvation. Then we can trust him for the car payment. Then we learn to trust him for the physical ailment. Then we learn to trust him a little more in our marriage, or we learn to trust him a little more in the fact that we got a bunch of kids, and are they going to be grow up to be mass murderers or Christians? No idea. And so I've just you just trust the Lord a little bit more in that stuff. All right. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. They must. Not only do they, they must. They have to. There's no other way for them to work. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Elijah, you can come up. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We all know it. Romans eight eighteen, Beautiful. But what do we do when we know that? Well, we can go with Paul to Colossians. So if I know that that the sufferings of this present time are not going to be worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, what should I do? Well, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Glory, glory, it's, it's, you know, it's not here. It's not for here. It's for there when he appears. And David does the same thing. So consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. If that's true, then set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. All the way back in Psalm 121, David says this, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Already doing it. David closes this psalm, be strong and let your heart be courageous, all of you who put your hope in the Lord. And Jesus says the exact same thing in John 16, You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your care for us in this life. But Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for Eternal life. Thank you for, no matter how hard our lives are, this is not the last. This life, this difficult life, this suffering life, this persecuted life, this tossed to and fro life, is not the last life, Lord. That we have eternal life. I'm so grateful for it. Lord, help us as we do live this life to set our thing eyes on the things above. You sitting at the right hand of the Father. Lord, help us to trust that you have saved us you are saving us, and that you will save us. And then in light of that, Lord, help us to trust you a little bit more in just everyday plotting of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.